For the last month or so, we have been looking at the book of Psalms, looking at how the psalmist prayed and the content of their prayer. This week we are looking um, at the topic of repentance, and we're looking at one of the more famous passages on that, Psalm 51. This psalm, for a little bit of context, comes in the aftermath of David, who was king of Israel, committing adultery with Bathsheba and her becoming pregnant with his child. Desiring to cover this up and to make Bathsheba his wife, um, he organizes the death of her husband, Uriah the Hittite, Hittite, one of David's most loyal men, one of his mighty men. We see this in 2 Samuel 11. David seemed to have no guilt about these sinful acts until the prophet Nathan, who was sent by God to awaken the conscience of David. He pointed the accusatory finger at David after telling him a parable. And in confronting David with his sin, we see this in 2 Samuel 12, David cries out for repentance. He cries out saying this, I have sinned against the Lord. And Psalm 51 is a written expansion of David's grief, fear, and sadness and sorrow over his sin. It is a plea, it's his plea to God to have mercy on him, to forgive him of his unrighteousness. Please join me as we read together from Psalm 51, um, God's, God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words, and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. And sinners will return to you. Deliver me from the guiltness, O God. O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips. And my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. 
build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, holy and almighty God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for giving it to us. Please open our hearts and open our minds that we may understand your word and apply it to our lives so we may glorify you with every word, thought, and deed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to close your eyes for a second and to think. Think back to a time when you were found out for a sin that you had been hiding. No matter what it was, no matter how big or how small, I want you to remember what it felt like to have your sin on full display. What did it drive you to do? You can open your eyes again. There are only two options. Either try to defend your sin or to ask for forgiveness. While many may try the first option, it never ends well. Instead, we must go before the people that we have sinned against and ask for forgiveness. Sadly, even when we usually get to this first step, this first option, it never ends well. Instead, instead we we usually just focus on um, not just... Uh, only on uh, asking human beings for the forgiveness um, that we have hurt by have hurt by sinning against them. Yet they are not the only ones that we have sinned against. We have also sinned against God, and it's to Him that we need to repent to first. And this is what we see in our passage today. In Psalm fifty-one, we see a wonderful model prayer of King David repenting of his sin by asking forgiveness, asking for his relationship to be restored, and asking God to use David for His glory and not David's own. Now, this may sound odd because it's found in the Book of Psalms, but as we've heard before, Psalms are written prayers to be sung, and Psalm fifty-one is no different. And while we don't recite this prayer to to repent of our sin, the concepts of this psalm are what we should include in our prayers of repentance to God. For God desires us to live according to his word. And we see in his word that repenting does not mean to to grovel or to to beat ourselves. No, it does include grief over our sinfulness and our selfishness, But at its root, it has to do with turning away from our sin and turning back to God. When we repent, we agree with God about the sinfulness of our sin. This means we're not trying to minimize or hide our sin or even the motives behind our sinful actions or words. Repentance is admitting to our sin. It's confessing that it was wrong and seeking forgiveness and having our relationship restored. Sadly, to our society, repentance is seen as no more than just saying, I'm sorry, with no need for follow up, because nothing truly needs to be, they, it's seen that nothing really needs to be reconciled. We see it all the time with children. They say that I'm sorry, as if that's all that's required. No need for forgiveness, barely even admittance of guilt, and rarely a confession of sin. 
Sadly, it's not only with children that we see this. We see this with adults as well. Yet Psalm 51, in here we see true repentance. Let's look at our passage this morning. In the first six verses, David covers a lot of ground. All to say something akin to, forgive me, O Lord, of my sin against you. David asks for forgiveness by admitting his sin, which we see in verse 3, which says this, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Now, while we do not see David say to the Lord what his exact sin is, we do know that he has already made this sin known. We see it from 2 Samuel 12, when the prophet Nathan, as I said before, confronts David after being shown his sin, and then David writes this psalm as a prayer of confession to God. Yet even though he does not spell out his sin in detail, by admitting his sin to God, he does the very first important step. The admission of guilt. He is admitting that he actually sinned, that he willfully broke God's law. So many times we don't even want to be seen in the wrong. We always want to be seen in the right, in the best light. But even when it is proven to us again and again and again, we many times we still won't admit our failures. Like a football coach running the same play over and over again, even though the play never worked the first time. Actually, I saw this once when I was in college. We were, I, I went to Liberty University, and we were playing against Army, and they ran the same play run to the left 27 times in a row. You know how many times it worked? Never. They never gained a single yard. And it just, it's, it, it just, to me, it shows of our continual like, bullheadedness of not wanting to admit that we're wrong. Yet when we admit that we have actually sinned, we are saying that it is to God that we have actually sinned against, that we willfully wronged him. David even goes as far as confessing his sin is ever before him. Or in other words, that his sin is haunting him. Like when you, like when you can't even go to sleep at night and you just keep rolling these things through your mind over and over and over again, something that you cannot unsee. And like David, we desperately need to have this weight, this albatross around our neck removed so we can be free from it. So that the sin that is now known can be removed from our lives. Yet we can only be set free from sin by the person that we have offended. And them granting us forgiveness that we desperately seek. And since this is to the Lord that we have offended... We must seek forgiveness from him. Because we need to do more than just admit our sin, but we need to confess it to him. For on his throne, he is the king, he is the ruler, he is the sovereign judge of all creation. And this is exactly what David does. We see this in his confession in verses 3 to 6. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your works and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. In this section of the text, David is pouring out his heart to the one true God. He has already cried out to God to show him mercy for his heinous sin. And now he is processing out loud in words the depth of his sin. Which is that he is totally depraved that in his whole self. That there is no good in him. 
And just like him, we are also also totally depraved in our sin. But why is David confessing this to God? Yes, he has broken God's law, but there's something more. He confesses to God because of the relationship that he has with him. Think of your most important relationships. The ones that you cherish the most. When you have wronged one of them, one of those people, you desire to make that relationship right. Or, you know, if you don't, that relationship becomes estranged and usually ends up falling away. Like David, whether you are a follower of God or not, you have a relationship with him. It may be like the parable of the prodigal son, and you currently want nothing to do with him. Or you may be like David, you are in sin and you are a child of God. No matter the case, what God desires in repentance is a confession of our sin to him. We see this plainly in 1 John uh, 1, 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is one of the most wonderful promises that God makes in Scripture, and He always keeps it. Which means if we confess our sins to God and ask for His merciful forgiveness, He will actually forgive sin. Not in theory, but in fact. Not just one sin, but all sin. For God loves His creation so much that He sent Jesus, the Son, to be the forgiveness of sins. To die on the cross, to pay the penalty for our sin, so that anyone who asks for forgiveness bought by Christ will be forgiven. Praise be to God for the mercy he shows and the forgiveness that he bestows. But why is God merciful? Why does he forgive our sin knowing that we will sin again? We see the answer Again, in verses 1 and 2, God shows mercy for that is who he is. He is merciful and he has demonstrated this over and over again. We see it even plainer in 1 John 4, 16. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God in him. God is merciful because he is the definition of love. And he demonstrates this love by caring and saving his people. But why show his people love? If we are like David, a great but ultimately sinful man, why does God forgive? Why does God love? Simply because of God's promise to his people. We see this in verse 1. David uses this word, steadfast love. A phrase that we see throughout the Psalms. And how God's steadfast love endures forever. Now this phrase has a deeper meaning to it. More than just that God is long-suffering in His love. It is that God is loyal in His love to His people. Or in other words, God has covenantal love for His people. Love that He demonstrates for them again and again and again since the fall in the garden with Adam. When Adam chose sin instead of trusting God. Yet God, out of His great mercy, makes a covenant with Adam. A promise to send a Savior to be the forgiveness of sin. Of which we see revealed slowly, progressively throughout Scripture. And we see that this Savior is Jesus, the Son, God Himself. 
and that God's love for his people has never and will never abate. So if you do not know Jesus and you want certainty that your sins are forgiven, not only major sins, but all sins on your account, repent to the Lord, seek Jesus in prayer. And know that because of Jesus' death on the cross for sin, that you will be forgiven. Your debt erased. And the punishment for for sin, spending eternity in hell, separated from God and from everyone, this sentence will be commuted. Even though it is what each and every single one of us deserves. Praise be to God for His marvelous mercy and His loyal love. Now, we can see the fullness of God's grace in the present, for we have the entirety of Scripture and how it was fulfilled in Jesus. But the people of God in the Old Testament, they did not see the full picture. They couldn't. It's like being 2D in a 3D world. You can't see the full comprehension of it. David is no exception. While David, he was a child of God, and he knows that God does forgive, the only way he knows of God's forgiveness is through the purification sacrifices, a temporary forgiveness of sin. Like paying the minimum, the minimum monthly payment on, on a debt, knowing that soon the next month's bill will come due. Yet, This was the only way at that time for punishment for sin to be um, be erased. Yet we see in the next section of our passage, um, in 7 to 9, we see what he calls out for, for God to do. He says this, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. In these verses, David seeks something. He seeks to be justified in the sight of God. Or in other words, to be seen by God as just if he had not sinned. And the only way for him to seek this part of restoration is is by having a priest purge him with hyssop. Or in other words, having the, having the high priest sprinkle him correctly with hyssop, blood, and water to make him ritually clean. Like the law of Moses required. Not only with sin, but also with the disease of leprosy. Now, leprosy and sin are, aren't, are, no, are very similar. They infect the whole body. It's highly contagious. And it's debilitating, making the skin dead and rotting. In the Bible, we see lepers cast out of the towns and only let back in once they had been healed and ritually cleaned. The same is true with our sin. It permeates us. And we are not allowed into the presence of God without having our sin purged from our account by the sacrifice of blood. In David's day, the only way to do this was in temporary measure. To make oneself clean, to the standard that God set in his law. Yet we see in the gospel something wonderful, something great. The Father sent the Son to fulfill this sacrifice, not only as a temporary thing that needed to be done in the next couple days or in the next month, 
No, he sent the son to be the full sacrifice. To be forgiven of sin forever. To be made white as snow with glistening purity because of Jesus' sacrifice. And like David, he could not do this himself. Like David, we cannot do this ourselves. David had to go before a priest for this purification rite. And we can go before our great high priest, Jesus, who is perfect. He is the perfect high priest who not only made the sacrifice himself, but was himself the sacrifice. For no matter who you are, king or or king. Um, king or citizen, rich or poor, we can do nothing to save ourselves from sin. All we can do is repent and trust that the merciful God will forgive us. And praise be to God that he does this every time without exception, like a Swiss watch never missing a beat. And this psalm of David, he just didn't want to just at stop at being justified for his sin. He wanted to also be sanctified. Or in other words, not only be forgiven, but changed from the inside out so that he would not fall back into the same sin and be, that brought him here in the first place. Not to basically be going on um, a carnival ride, going around and around and around like a Ferris wheel. He wanted to be confirmed to, or he wanted to be um, made into the image of God rather than the image of sin. We see this in verses 10 to 12. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Here David cries out to God to have his relationship grow and be changed. To have his relationship be transformed the renewing of his heart and mind along with it he wants this process of repentance to be one that not only restores but revitalizes him to to have this have a growing relationship with god to have one like that adam had with god in the garden yet if you were a follower of god justified by his grace you while you have your sins in the past forgiven, your sins in the present forgiven, and the sins in the future forgiven, we still have a sinful nature, which is like quicksand, constantly trying to drag us down into a pit, a spiraling pit of sin and despair. Yet because of God's love, he sent his spirit to sanctify us, to change us, Not only our actions, but our hearts, our desires, so that we would conform to that of Christ. For until God completely sanctifies us, which will not happen until heaven, our heart keeps churning out sinful idols. This is why David, in his prayer of repentance, prays for God to restore him by sanctifying his heart, by making it clean by blotting it out, washing away his sinful desires so that he does not desire sin and rather he desires the things of God. If you are a follower of God, this should be part of your prayers of repentance. Praying that not only will God forgive you of your sin, but change your desires 
so that they are not for the things of this world, like power, fame, fortune, or pleasure, but the things of God, of love, joy, and peace. This does not mean that God will uh, immediately take all of these desires away, nor does it mean that there will not be consequences for our sins. David paid a very heavy cost for his sinful actions. And like David, our sin will have earthly consequences. But there is good news. The good news is that these consequences are not eternal. For no matter how bad things get here on earth, because of our sin, if you are a follower of God, you have an eternal home with God in heaven where there is no sin, for God cannot have sin in His presence. Moreover, God just does not take our desires away. He changes them slowly over time, chipping away at them like a sculptor creating a perfect bust. So that we desire His Word, we desire His law, and we desire a relationship with Him. Praise be to God that when we pray for God to forgive our sin, not only does He give us mercy, but He also restores our relationship with Him. And this is so much more than we can even comprehend. And with this, He also gives benefits to this relationship, which is benefits we actually truly desire, like how God provides nearness to Him, which we see in verse 11, that we can call upon Him at any time. For when we repent, we are forgiven of our sin and, while, and we feel nearness to God for He is with us. He's not an arm's distance away. He's here with us. Not silently, silently judging us, but instead He is embracing us and never letting us go. Providing us with unexplicable joy as we see in verse 12. And healing the brokenness that our sin has caused. And envelops us in its relationship with Him, as we see in verse 8. And with this joy comes a renewed desire to bring God glory. To praise His name, to make His name known to everyone. For when God forgives, He not only changes our inward desires, but the actions that spring forth from them, from that inward change. We see in the last part of David's prayer in verses 13 through 19, his cry for God to use him for the Lord's glory. We see in verses 13 to 19, a truly penitent man who desires to praise God as a testimony of God's amazing grace that he has shown David. For David has been delivered from the penalty of death for killing Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. And by the grace of God, he has done this. He has been forgiven. These verses, the verses that we just talked about read this way. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God. O God of my salvation, my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You would not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, 
A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. All of these verses convey one major thought. Out of a duty to God and out of a renewed desire for His glory, I will serve the Lord with all of my heart, with all of my mind, and with all of my strength. And these are the actions of a man after God's own heart, which David was called way back in 1 Samuel 13, 14. If you are a follower of God, what each and every one of us are called to is to be a man and woman of God. For out of slavery, God has called you into freedom. And he offers it, and he offers it out of, to bring us out of despair. Because he has brought joy. And out of loss, he has brought nearness to him. David's proposed actions are ones which spread the good news of God's grace. And if you experience God's grace, these should be your desires as well. For like like the song, This Little Light of Mine, the gospel cannot be covered up for long. It will shine through. For the gospel cannot be covered. Darkness will not overtake it. For the forgiveness should for this forgiveness should drive us to tell others about God's amazing grace, about his love. Like verse 13 says, teaching of God's law and grace so that God's people will be drawn back to him. For God's word never returns void. It's like a homing beacon calling his children homeward in Christ Jesus. Or singing of of God's righteousness, which we see in verses 14 to 16. For if you have been forgiven of something that was eating you alive, that was constantly on your thoughts, you cannot be kept silent, for this is good news. This is wonderful news. You want to share this story with others because of what God has done for you. It has changed your heart as well as your mind. And what better way to praise the goodness of God and what He has created us to do by singing praises to Him, regardless of your singing voice, regardless if you think you are, if you are worthy of, of praising God. He, if He has forgiven you, this is what He desires. All of these outward actions, they come from repenting of our sin and they come from an inward change expressed outwardly. Which is what we see in verses 16 to 19. For all of these actions we do are meaningless if God has not changed our inward desires from rebellion to obedience. It is not us, it is all on God. For we do not have, for if, sorry, if we do not have Christ's work applied to our account, we are like people in David's day, fearing the wrath of God, the thunder of the perfect law, which demands perfect obedience, something that we could never hope to live up to. But praise be to God that He sent Jesus to fulfill that sacrificial law, being the blood offering which is needed. 
purging us with hyssop, washing us, cleansing us, blotting out our transgressions so that the law's loud thunder is hushed. Mount Sinai's flame is quenched. Praise be to God, for by His Word, He shows us our sin. Praise be to God, by His Word, He provides salvation from sin. Praise be to God, by His Word, He shows us how to repent in prayer. And by His Word, praise be to God, He forgives. We see the love of God displayed here. We see His mercy on full display. Praise be to the Lord of grace who washes away our sin by His blood that we may love and sing and wonder of God's mercy. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, holy and almighty God, we come before You this morning knowing that like David, we have sinned against You, Father. Father, we, we come before you confessing our sin, whatever it may be. Father, please heal our relationship with you. Work in us, Father, whether to, bring, whether to bring some to faith or, Father, to grow us in our faith of you. Father, please um, change our desires so that they are not for the things of this world, but rather that they are things, that, or things of you, Father, of your love, your grace. Father, please help us to not only change our actions, but Father, please change us in our inward thoughts, in our heart, in our minds, Father, that we may desire you. Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let us respond to God's word with a song. We're going to sing the song, Let Us Love and Sing and Wonder. And when we do, I want you to think on how God has forgiven and how he does this by Jesus, by his life death and resurrection and i want us to think on this chorus which is which is working we're going to sing for he has washed us with his blood he has washed us with his blood he has washed us with his blood he has brought us nigh to god please stand and sing Let us love and sing. Let us love and sing and wonder. Let us praise the Savior's name. He has hushed the laws of thunder. He has quenched Mount Sinai's flame. He has washed us with his blood. He has washed us with His blood. He has washed us with His blood. He has brought us nigh to God. Let us love the Lord. Let us love the Lord who brought us Pitied us when enemies Called us by His grace and taught us Gave us ears and gave us eyes He has washed us with His blood 
He has washed us with His blood. He has washed us with His blood. He presents our souls to God. Let us sing through fierce temptations, threatens hard to bear us down. For the Lord, our strong salvation, holds in view the conqueror's crown. He who washed us with his blood. He who washed us with his blood. He who washed us with his blood. Soon will bring us home to God. Let us wonder. Let us wonder grace and justice. Join and point to mercy's store. When through grace in Christ our trust is, justice smiles and asks no more. He who washed us with his blood. He who washed us with his blood. You washed us with his blood, has secured our way to God. Let us praise. Let us praise and join the chorus of the saints enthroned on high. Here they trusted him before us, now their praises fill the sky. Thou hast washed us with thy blood, thou hast washed us with thy blood, thou hast washed us with thy blood, thou art worthy Lamb of God. Amen. Please be seated. As we mentioned earlier, we have some prayer requests uh, that we've been given. We have first the two that Mark Van Gilst gave, praying for the Wellborns, Mike and Ann, and then for Ron Bossom. So I'll be praying for them in a minute. Had a prayer request that God would reveal his will and his direction to our pastors, elders, and deacons as they guide the church. And I can tell you that that is a fantastic prayer request because we always need. None of us have the wisdom that, that we need to live life, and certainly none of the elders and deacons and pastors have what is needed as well to guide the church. And then another good prayer request is that our, our nation repent and turn from sin and that God would work in us to turn our hearts as a nation to him so that he forgives us and will heal our land. And then finally, a praise. One of the uh, returning ESOL students um, made it safely back from Afghanistan last week. Not a small feat at all for that to happen. So please join me in prayer for these things. Lord, this morning we come and we first thank you for your grace to the Wellborns and the Bossoms. Thank you for the healing that you have given. 
for the strength you give and for your grace. But pray, we ask, Lord, that you continue to work in them, give them uh, greater health, restore sight to Mike, and would you give strength to Ron. Lord, we do pray and ask that you would guide the pastors and elders and deacons of this church. Show us your will and your direction. Uh, Give us wisdom we do not have for this. And then we ask for ourselves and our nation that you would Your spirit would move and bring repentance, as Dan has talked about today, not just grief over sin, but also hope of restoration and a desire to turn away from that rebellion, and we rebel in so many different ways. Pray that you'd forgive, and then you would heal and restore. And then we thank you and praise you for this ESOL student who was able to return safely from Afghanistan. Thank you for protecting him. Thank you for bringing him back. Lord, we know that every day we have situations, um, and we ought to be praying about all of them. So we ask that you would move us to prayer. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So let me just share a few announcements, and then we'll have our benediction, uh, kind of starting from now and working our way out further in the week. At uh, 1130, we have Sunday school, and today we are starting, um, not in addition to our adult Sunday school, children's Sunday school. So, yes, yay. Okay, it's been a long time coming. Um, There's a board out in the narthex, a white board with the classes. So there's three different children's classes, um, and you can see what rooms there. It goes from pre-K all the way up through 12th grade, and then adult, and and any of the older teens that wish, we're certainly welcome to, to be in with the adults. Then this afternoon at 5.30, we start LifeQuest again, which is for kid, uh, children 5th grade and under, and that will be here in the sanctuary at 5.30, and Dan uh, will be leading that. And then uh, we've, you've had a um, mark your calendar for October 3rd. We're having two presentations in the evening, the first one at 6, Kids Discovery Adventure on Dinosaurs and Fossils, but it's not just for kids. And then the second one at 7 is for... Uh, older children and adults on genetics and me and uh, it'll be a, a very useful time informative time we're going to be advertising it to the community so please mark that and plan to come and be praying for it as well then on this tuesday the ladies bible study starts it's here at the church from 9 45 to 11 they're going to be studying the, uh, the book of job and all ladies are welcome to that if you're able to make that time and then finally, this coming Saturday, this uh, 18th of September, from 9 until 12, we're having our fall work day, outdoor work day. And so please, uh, if you can, come for that. Please wear appropriate clothes, long sleeves, shirts, and long pants and things, because you could be in amongst bushes and trees and other things like that. And if you have got work gloves, bring that. There was a, an email that went out to the deacons, so there's some people, some people bringing tools, and you'll find out when you get here exactly what needs to be done, but I can tell you, having participated in many, it is a fun time, it's a useful time, and we can pray for nice fall weather as well that morning. Please stand for the benediction. Now may you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. Go in his peace.
and also next Sunday, if you cannot make it this evening, um, all elders, deacons, staff, anybody working with children, we have child protection training. It's a refresher training. Uh, you need to come for that, and we'll also be taking names so that we can make sure that we've gotten everybody trained that needs to be trained. That's tonight at 6, and it'll be down the hall. Thank you.